0: The following recording is a presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Rohnert Park, California and of Pastor Val Mark Smith. We are an independent Baptist congregation committed to the accurate presentation of the historical doctrines of the faith. We welcome your visit to our services anytime here in the Rohnert Park area.
1: Well, good morning. It's good, good to be back here. I'd first of all just like to ask... Uh, How many of you were here when Debbie and I were here last time, about four years ago? Could you raise your hand? Okay, most of you. How many of you were not here when we were here four years ago? Could you raise your hand? Several, okay. So we've got a lot of old friends, don't take it personally, (laughs) and some new ones. Good. Well, uh, I want to first of all introduce my wife to you. This is uh, my wife, Debbie. And we have been in Mexico for 36 years now. We've been the last 35 years. majority of our ministry in Mexico has been in the state of Chiapas. Chiapas is the uh, bottom state of Mexico. If you look at a map, you go all the way down to the very bottom next to Guatemala. And uh, we set up our base in the capital city of Tuxtla Gutierrez. And they're in the, uh, uh, of course, you all remember that, right? Tux la Gutierrez. Why don't you repeat that back to me? I want to see it. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so and we, we thank God for the privilege of being able to serve him on the mission field. I was actually called to be a missionary when I was a child, 10 years old. And uh, was a time when I was 16 years old when that, that I... Rebelled against my call, I have to admit that, and decided I wanted to serve God my own way. Outwardly, people thought I was a good church boy Uh, in the youth program everything. Inwardly, I was like Jonah, uh, not going to do what God had called me to do. But the Lord has ways of of, uh, getting his way in your heart, too. (laughs) And so uh, he did and brought me back to him. And then uh, we, we both went to Pacific Coast Baptist Bible College back in the uh, early '70s. And uh, after I graduated from from college, went I went straight down to Mexico to learn the language. I had to do my internship as to to be approved as a missionary. And I thought, well, the best way to do internship would be in the Spanish ministry because that way I'm kind of killing two birds with one stone. I'll be practicing the Spanish for. Getting prepared for going back to Mexico. And so we did that. And uh, during that time, we were married also and went back to Mexico in 1978 and have been there ever, ever since. Our, our ministry in Mexico, you, you decide kind of what strategy you're going to use. And it varies from country to country and from culture to culture. So our strategy has been kind of a hub strategy. We try to start, uh, churches build those churches strengthen those churches and then have them multiply and start other churches and by doing that over these uh, 36 years we've been able to see 30 uh, 23 churches altogether established uh, many of them i have started myself personally others uh, i have trained pastors and and they have, and helped them to start other churches we also start churches sometimes with uh, laymen just like you where we will form missions teams and we'll have a contact in in a town, a village, a city there in the state of Chiapas and so the church will will form different teams and they'll take turns. Each each team will go for one month. Each Saturday and Sunday uh, we'll go and do visitation and evangelism and then Many times Bible studies at the beginning and start a mission, have services, and then the next month the next team will take over. And so they kind of share the work and everybody's involved in in the the work of starting missions. So our, our ministry is about that, is about starting churches. Our goal, of course, is for everybody in Chiapas, everybody in Mexico, everybody in the world that we could possibly reach to hear the gospel. Our goal is to exalt the Lord Jesus Christ and the people would understand the the grace of God and salvation by grace through faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And then those that are converted, those who trust Jesus Christ as their Savior, then to form churches in order to disciple them, to build them, and to teach them to then carry out the Great Commission, same as we're doing. So that's kind of what our our uh, ministry is all about. Debbie has, been, Well, first of all, she had to dedicate most of her uh, first years of life to homeschooling. We have four children, a girl and three boys. They're all grown and gone. Two are married. We have five grandchildren, all grandsons, still waiting for the granddaughter. And... uh so and they're uh, right now all here in California, down in Southern California. My son was in the Marines for 11 years, and uh, he just got out of the Marines, so he's moving back to a job that they're offering him in Pensacola, Florida, and taking four of my grandsons with him. So that that's, that's uh, wasn't good news, but <laughs> but we thank God that they all love the Lord and they're all serving the Lord in one way or another. And uh, my wife had to homeschool them all the way through high school, and then they uh, took off went to college. And uh, my wife works also. We have a little Christian school in our church where we train the children, the parents that want to have that. It's, it's a little bit difficult in Mexico because everything is so much more controlled even than, than it is here in the United States, and you don't have any uh, permission actually to have a school that is not under the government control so what we do is we enroll them in uh, it's kind of like open education, homeschooling type education programs that exist, and then we bring them together in our uh, facilities, and so we actually have like a school, but they're actually enrolled in other in other kinds of courses, and that way we're able to have them under a Christian influence and to. Build them not only in a good education, but to build their character and their faith in Lord Jesus Christ also. And then I uh, do a lot of training of pastors. I have eight men right now that I'm training, and over the years have trained many uh, preachers and pastors in the ministry. And of course, then we do all kinds of activities saying, Today is Children's Day, there, and I'm waiting for the news. Children's Day is always the biggest day of the year in the main church in Mexico. The main church in Mexico has about 500 members. Uh, it's kind of the mother church of many, many other churches. Another church is uh, similar in size. The rest of them vary from uh, you know, maybe 100 or 150 all the way down to 40 people, depending on how long and where they are. But uh, last year, I think, in Children's Day, we had a. Thousand one hundred and twenty people there for for that day that 's that 's the biggest day of the year, and you know it 's fun to talk about having over a thousand people come to church, of course we realize a lot of most people are coming because it 's celebrating children 's day we always put a big presentation on in the church, and then after church, we have the parking lot filled with games and things, so the kids will have a good time on children 's day but it it opens a lot of doors we meet a lot of people and we 've won a lot of people to the lord and Gone back into their homes also when they get to know the church and they feel the the uh loving spirit of the lord at church and uh, so i'm waiting on news uh, today about how that's going to be in our in our children 's day so my wife also trains the kids in in uh, in music there in the school we built a little orchestra they started just as little bitty kids, uh, just trying to play the little flutes and and, and uh Things and now they're really quite good. They've got a, a good orchestra. And by the way, if anybody knows anywhere where she can get more instruments—flutes, clarinets, things like that—we uh, uh, that's always a need down there. We can't hardly uh, find instruments for the kids down there. So um, do let us know if there is anything like that available. That would really be a, a big help. To, and then I also wanted to uh, mention something that I brought today, and this is a little embarrassing to me, but it, on the other hand, it might be a blessing to you. Uh, in our, We have a discipleship program in our churches, and it's really a very, very extensive discipleship. Uh, it actually will take at least three years for people to go through this discipleship program. In fact, it's so extensive that all I did was add a fourth year for pastoral training, and it's actually a very, very uh, highly trained uh, Bible college education for pastors. So one part of our discipleship is Bible memorization, and I guess there's a little bit of a personal reason to that. When I was a young man in Bible college, I went to Bible college when I was only 17 years old, got out of high school a year early, so they made an exception to even accept me there. But uh, I was not all that secure in in uh, feeling like I could do God's work. And that promise of God in in Psalm 1 that if we meditate day and night in, in his word, we'll be like the tree planted by rivers of water and everything that we do a prosper, that to me was a, such an encouragement thinking, you know, I can do that. I can memorize scripture, you know, be a success in serving God. I don't really feel a lot of ability, qualifications, or strength to be able to do that. But if God's going to, you know, uh, help me to to be able to to prosper in his ministry uh, and to do that by meditating his word, well, I i I'll start doing that. So I started memorizing uh, long passages, entire chapters of the Bible. Now, I have to admit that I forgot everything I memorized in English when I went to Mexico. I did that for many years here in the United States and uh, memorized probably 12 chapters of the Bible in, in English. But when I went to Mexico, I made a decision that in order for me to communicate in Spanish to the, to the uh, Mexican people, I was going to have to saturate what my mind, with the Bible in Spanish and everything in Spanish, so I just put away everything I had in English, my English Bible, English material, and studied, memorized, taught exclusively in Spanish. And the truth is I feel much more comfortable preaching and teaching in Spanish now than I do in English. But as a result, I forgot everything I ever memorized in, in English. I, I now have 42 chapters memorized in Spanish, and, uh, I, and so in our discipleship ministry, I wanted that to be a blessing to our people also. And I uh, tell them that in the first level of discipleship, there were three levels. The first level is personal growth. It's more about your own personal relationship with the Lord, personal growth. The second level is doctrinal, uh, truth. Uh, Being founded on truth. And then the third level is leadership, how to serve, how to lead by being a servant. And, but uh, each level, one of the requirements is to memorize. And the first level, we tell them, you're going to memorize the book of Philippians. And when I say the book of Philippians, they say, what do you mean book? You know, I say that. And so I tell everybody, um, now don't feel any pressure. The only requirement is that you give 10 minutes a day to memorize. So you start with Philippians 1-1 and do what you can in 10 minutes. And if the next day you forgot it all, don't worry. That's, that's all you gotta do. You can forget it forever. If you, if that's what happens, don't worry about it. Just do your 10 minutes. Memorize and see what, see what happens. And I tell them, God made the brain. God made the memory. God actually did a good job what he did. The problem is that that we don't give it a chance to do what what God made it capable of doing. And to to date, anyone that has actually been willing to take 10 minutes, which we all waste more than 10 minutes a day anyway, so it's pretty easy to give 10 minutes a day. And everyone that does that has been able to memorize the book of Philippians that first year. Even grandmothers, you know, that uh, start doing, this, they say, well, "I can't memorize anything. My mind doesn't work anymore." And they find out that it really does. Some people say, "I, I can't memorize anything." And I, oh, poor thing. We're going to have to get somebody to take you home then. And she won't be able to remember. And actually, our memories work. But uh, anyway, I'm getting off on this. But I wrote this book to help people to know how the memory works, why it's called, why you really can memorize scripture. And I have some of these in the car it cost me five dollars a book here in the United States to uh, publish this with the editing and the artwork and all what they require here and, uh, I got for eight hundred dollars one hundred and seventy books here in the United States in Mexico for the same eight hundred dollars you got a thousand books that's <laughs> one of the advantages of being in Mexico is a little bit cheaper to get printing and things like that done so uh, but anyway, if you speak spanish then it 's cheaper if you speak english you 'll It'll cost you about five bucks. But anyway, if anybody's interested, it's kind of embarrassing. I don't want to be, you know making commercials, but it actually is a, really, a real blessing. And the people who have read it have come to me and say, "Wow, that you know I, I give a, a reasons why the Lord wants us to memorize. Actually, there's a lot of reasons in the Bible that depend on memorizing Scripture, uh, commands of God, and then how to do that, and then also how to not forget it. And that's that's the biggest problem. Remember something, and you forget it later on. And I teach you how not to forget it, which is a matter of having a plan, of using a particular time in your day that uh, is a routine that you do every day. Some people it's just getting up and getting ready. It takes a while to get up, shower, shave, uh, get fixed up. And your mind is not your mind is normally. Uh, wandering to many other things because you don't have to concentrate on what you're doing when you do routine things. And so we just learn not to take extra time, but to use time that we're already using on something like that. And it works if you just form a habit on that. So anyway, if there's anybody interested in that, uh, I have those available. Our plan is to continue doing the the same thing until the Lord comes or, or something else happens. We are... We call ourselves missionaries to Mexico, and the truth is we're all just servants of the Lord. We do whatever he calls us to do, go wherever he leads us to go. Uh, but that's that's the gist of what our mission ministry in Mexico is all about. Uh, we were talking with your pastor. Your pastor's a blessing to me because we, we, uh, I think when we come back to the United States, we talk the pastor's ears off because it's such a blessing to come back and and, uh, talked to fellow ministers, but, uh, he was saying that you were very interested in the style of preaching down there, whether it's expository preaching or topical preaching like that. And it was very interesting that we do actually coincided a lot in our, um, in our ideas on that. Now, what I, what I would uh, tell you on that is far as training people most of the uh, preaching that I do in the hub churches where I'm actually a long time is expository preaching. So I would normally uh, take a book of the Bible and preach through the Bible, and we've preached through many books in both in the Old Testament and the New Testament. And doing that, and you end up dealing with every subject of life as you, as you delve into a book of, uh, of the Bible uh, but in many of the missions that I only visit sporadically that are under other people that are, that are teaching and preaching there, most of the time I, I do choose a topic to preach in that case, a passage of scripture that will deal with a need as far as them growing, being uh, wise, being dedicated, being willing to be used, and so uh, actually we use a lot of variety. In our different ministries, as far as the uh, preaching is concerned, but what I wanted to do this morning is like Paul when Paul says in Acts, when was it, sixteen or fifteen? That sixteen when he came back from the missionary journey and gave a report on what God had done. So you are as much a part of that ministry as we are. Your church has been supporting us for uh, all these years. And there's no way we could be in Mexico if it weren't for people like you that have been praying for us, giving your missionary offerings. And even, you know, I think your faith is sometimes underestimated because even though you don't get to see the fruit of your sacrifice, the fruit of your giving and your participation, you still do that. And I appreciate that. I know you don't get to see the souls saved and yet you still give and you don't get to see the buildings built and yet you still give and the lives that are transforming you do that you do that because the Lord has commanded us to do that and uh, I appreciate that but I wanted to give you a time this morning just to kind of uh, ask questions like your pastor said and ask us about the work in Mexico or the area of Mexico or the situations I know you hear right now about all of the the drug wars and things like that. We're not in that area. Actually, where we are, they had a guerrilla war, and it may have been going on last time, he said, or sometime, and we had to go through that. Back when they had the guerrilla war, ours was the state nobody wanted to touch. It was the most dangerous area of the country. But now that that's over, and uh, most of the problems in Mexico are the wars between the drug cartels. We don't have drug cartel families in Chiapas, so actually it's... uh one of the more peaceful places uh, probably to be, and the Lord has uh, given us a great open door. People listen to us there. And many people, because they listen, when the gospel becomes clear, it, it, God touches hearts, and we're seeing people saved constantly down there. So do you have any questions? Do you have anything that you're interested in knowing about? Do you see maybe your, the name, the... Dan and Debbie Morris in Mexico, but is there anything that I could maybe enlighten you or help you to understand or is this you're interested in? Yes, ma'am. Okay, you mentioned about, yeah, you mentioned about the books of the Bible. Um, in, uh, in the Philippines, uh, the New Testament, the books, the New Testament, it's almost the same, I think, in Mexico or in other Hispanic-speaking countries. Except, I think, the Book of Acts. You know? So, how is it translated? In this? Because in the Philippines, it's mga uh, gawa, meaning the works. How about in uh, Mexico? Is it trabajo or los hechos? Los hechos de los apóstoles. Oh. Hechos is the, acts. the he- acts. Hechos oh. son, uh, is, could be translated the works or the Acts. Oh, okay. yes, so in, in Spanish it's called los hechos, the book of Acts. Um, oh, okay. That's how it is. <laughs> okay. And talking about the Spanish Bible, the Spanish Bible is uh, co- commonly called the Reina Valera uh, version of the Bible. It was originally translated in... 1509, something like that, uh, by uh, a Spaniard who, at the risk of his life because of the uh, persecution of those that would actually translate the Bible into the uh, the language of the people, and Casiodoro de Reina, was the man's name that actually began that translation work from the uh, Textus Receptus into uh, Spanish back in those uh, centuries. And then one of his followers or students actually finished the work for him. His name was Cipriano de Valera. And so the version in Spanish is called the Reina Valera. And uh, that's the version that that, uh, we use so that's the bible translated from the originals into spanish any other question about yes sir
0: a number of years ago i think it was four or five years ago we contributed uh, to help build a, a particular church a small church that you were just starting i i offhand forgot the <laughs> the name of the community or the church do you recall And can you give us a status update?
1: Um, Oh boy, brother, you really got me (laughs) on the spot. (laughs) Okay, I'm sorry. Yeah, uh, you're right, and Uh I remember that. But no, I don't recall exactly which one it was. Okay, I got a a, a softer
0: question here.
1: Okay. Okay.
0: Um, You live in a very Catholic country, obviously, and you. Interface with with uh, the priests and the fathers and all that on a regular basis. Um, <clears throat> what where do you see the influence of the Catholic Church at this time, as compared maybe to to previous years, and where do you how do you interact? Uh, what what is your um, relationship with the Catholic community there?
1: Okay. First of all, it varies according to the size, actually, of the community. Tuxla Gutierrez, where we live, when we first moved there, we thought it was a big city. It had 180,000 people. That sounded like a big city, capital city. Well, now there's over a million. So I mean, the city has grown incredibly. It has also changed for, for the first 20-some years. It was very, very backward as far as development, as far as... Goods and supplies, we'd have to take in everything from the United States down there that we needed for supplies. But now in the last uh, 10 years, I guess because of the free trade agreements and investments going on in Mexico for the United States, it's a whole different city now. We have a Sam's Club and a, and a Walmart and you know Home Depot and things like that uh, that we would have never dreamed you of know, having down there years ago. Now, on on the subject of of catholicism obviously mexico still is predominantly catholic uh however in a large city you have nearly every denomination every religious sect you have uh they're all there so they have a big mormon temple they have jehovah's witnesses uh, halls they have the other, many of the other denominations, charismatics are very prevalent. So in the big city, it we don't really stand out in a comparison so much with the Catholic Church. When we do visitation, uh, of course, the great majority of people will say, Well, I'm Catholic. And uh, so it's always a barrier. Now, most people, to tell you the truth, are Catholic by tradition. And, and to tell you the truth, Many, many people are charismatic by tradition. Others are Presbyterian by tradition. Many, many people are whatever religion, they are just by tradition. It's not really a knowledge of a heart conversion. And so most of the people in in it's it's almost a cultural trait where they would feel embarrassed not to at least let you say something to them. It would be like it was, that's unethical, that's not nice. And so just the culture itself in that town and the fact that, yeah, they, they're they aware of all of the different uh, groups out. Probably as far as knocking doors, it's only the Jehovah's Witnesses and us. We're the only ones that do that besides the Jehovah's Witnesses and that. So it, it's really interesting to them that there is somebody besides the Jehovah's Witnesses. And they're willing to listen to us there in the town. So it's not it's not so much a barrier probably not even more than it would be for you here in the United States. But when you get into the smaller villages and the small towns, there it's going to be uh, more of an extreme case. If you have very strong Catholic leadership in some of those small towns, then you'll have people that will slam the door in your face. You'll have people that will even persecute you because of the Catholics, uh, in you know, if they have a real strong Catholic leader who actually... Uh, leads the people, uh, even threatens the people and makes them feel like they have to be harsh against anybody that's not Catholic, then it can be a very, very difficult situation. We have had several towns like that, that it took years. The The city of Ocoso Kwautla is only 30 minutes away from Tuxla. But in there, it was a totally different situation. I, we would knock doors, people would... I ask, who's there? We say, uh, from the Baptist church in town, no, go away. Or if they open the door, they see who you are, you say just anything about the Lord, about the church, they slam the door. They, they just about never do that in, in the capital city. On the other hand, if you're in a small town that has, that does not have a strong Catholic influence or the influence of some other denomination, normally it's wide open. And you can uh, get into all of it uh, to the homes and be able to present the gospel. So it's not like everybody's just dying to hear the gospel. No. that's that's. And I think it's a little misleading sometimes that maybe from it's our fault as missionaries to give the idea that there's people that are hungering for the gospel. Most of the time, there are people that are hungering. I have people even come to my house now wanting me to explain the gospel to them. But for the most part, Jesus said that people love darkness rather than light. That's just a simple fact. We have to preach the gospel, and that's the power of God to salvation. So it varies a lot. As far as my personal relationship, I've never had really a lot of conflict. I was knocking doors in one area of our town, and a priest got word of it. And so when I was in one of the homes there, he actually knocked on the door, came in. And I didn't want to cause a confrontation in this lady's home. Uh, it just didn't, wasn't the place, and so I tried to be cordial with the priest. He would be very, very adamant in that Catholicism is the only church, the only religion, this and that. And I would just throw in a little verse of scripture and kind of like throwing a little rock into the works, you know And he, so I would do that just for the sake for the lady not to think that what he was saying was true. But on the other hand, I didn't want to have a big you know, confrontation with this man. But there, those are things that we have had from time to time. But the truth is, it hasn't been a, a large problem. It's just a barrier to try to get to be able to have the opportunity to give the gospel to people. When they understand the concept of grace, they're, they're, all the other religions are always, besides even Catholicism, Even Protestants and Charismatics, everybody is works-oriented. It's all about earning your way to heaven. And when people, you talk to them and you explain to them the concept of grace, if it ever becomes clear to them, you can see it in their eyes when it becomes clear. Their tone of voice changes. It's just a whole new world for them when they understand that Jesus paid it all, that that salvation God is asking them just to repent and to come to him as they are. And uh, when they understand that, then they have to make a decision. And and many will still reject it because of the pressure of other people and the customs and things like that. But it changes everything when they understand the concept of grace. Someone else? I'm taking probably too much time. Yes? (laughs) How often do you go soul winning to small towns? To the small towns? Uh-huh. area. Okay. Well, normally uh, we try to dedicate at least two days a week in any of the churches. In the main city we have uh, door knocking every Thursday morning and we have soul winning every Friday night. And then we have our, well, we we also use uh, family groups. And we do that on Saturdays, and the uh, family groups is not going out. It's actually inviting friends and family over for tacos and for fellowship. And then in the family groups, you give the gospel out, have a have a a, a a lesson about salvation, one way or the other. And uh, we don't normally give invitations in the family groups, but it breaks ice. It gets the gospel out to people, and we have a, have a lot of people coming to our church through the family group's ministry. So these are different strategies that we use. And, of course, we try to train the people. We have an evangelism training program that they go through four months and they learn we've, we've trained hundreds of soul winners through our evangelism training, which I have to admit is pretty much based on the uh, uh, evangelism explosion, evangelism explosion uh, Uh, type of method. It's it's similar to that. It's on-the-job training for evangelism so that people will be able to witness no matter where they are. And then we try to multiply that same model in the other little churches that we do. Yes? I was just curious as to what you feel is your greatest hindrance To getting the gospel to the people. For example, is it interior or is it exterior? Interior meaning your workers, maybe you yourself, whatever, people get burnt out, they're tired, they have so many rejections uh, of the gospel, or is it exterior, outside influences that prevent people from taking the gospel? Uh, you know, there's some of all of that. There's hindrances uh, when we go to evangelism. But there, it is a difficulty, you know, in our own personal uh, circumstances. I myself have found that as the churches multiply, as the churches grow, I spend an awful lot of time trying to counsel, like uh, in family problems, marriage problems. I have crisis in families every single week. And there, there I, I don't have all of the structure. We'd, we'd have a church secretary and you have staff and workers in the main church like that, but don't have a structure that helps me so much to where that I'm not sometimes uh, swamped with office work and business, things like that. And then, of course, I'm actually also a business manager, an architect, a translator. You're a little bit of everything. And sometimes that is, uh, I feel like, it kind of enslaves me to so many things that have to be done, and I find that I have to train others to be able to be out there and send them out there when I would like to be out there and to find out that there's some things that only I can do as far as the organizational and the planning and the training and the and the uh, materials and all of these things. So to me, the hindrance is mostly the, the, the work that you have to do just to have the ministries going, just to do the building of the buildings and... To train the people and things like that, it just uh, I spend an awful lot of time doing that instead of being able to be out in the work, and so I actually have to plan certain times to be able to get out. That, to me is the biggest hindrance, and I really don't have a solution for that. I wish there was somebody else I could give that all to, but uh, doesn't always have that. But does, is that what you're kind of uh, thinking about? That's really kind of what I feel a lot of times as far as the the workload is concerned. Yes, ma'am. You mentioned in the ministries of reaching people for the Lord, you mentioned um, door-to-door and then soul winning. What is the difference between those two? Okay. There's not any... Well, Yeah, that's a good question. Door-to-door is where we go door-to-door, and we go soul winning, okay? If people will listen uh, and... And uh, then, then we present the gospel to them. But when we talk about going soul winning, it's actually going to a contact, either a family member or a visitor from the church, somebody that we have a card on or some information we go directly to a home. It's just a matter of terminology. So it's all soul winning, but we distinguish it that because one is, I guess it would be called contact soul winning. The other is door knocking soul winning. That's, that's the difference yes and uh so it was Sabinalito i'm glad you you Sabinalito is going very well Sabinalito is uh in walking distance from the border of Guatemala it's right down about a half a mile you walk down the road and you're walking across into the country of Guatemala they have their own pastor now the ministry is has, has, he married a lady from our main church up in the mountains whose mother was actually the the uh, Owner of the house where we started that church, and they have family and they have built that church very, very, very well. That church is. Uh, uh, we helped them to get the first main building and a little pastoral house built, and uh, but now they have built other buildings and finished things up and got programs. So last time we were there, they, it was impressive. We I haven't been able to visit them as often, actually. I was pastoring two different churches at the time and uh, so the one church I trained a man in the church to be the pastor he was one of my disciples when he became the pastor he actually also became in charge of the missions of that church and this church was actually a mission of that church so when I uh, turned the church over to him uh, then he actually became responsible for Sabin Alito also, but they 're doing very well in that church. Okay, we ran out of time, and I didn 't get to teach anything but uh, I'll, I have a video presentation for you in the in the morning service, and it 'll show you a little bit more about the work and I get to preach to you then.
0: Thank you for listening to this presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Roanoke, Park, California. If you would like further information about our church, please feel free to call us at area code 707-584-7275 or write to us at Berean Baptist Church, 6298 Country Club Drive, Roanoke Park, California, 94928. Additionally, you may visit us on the World Wide Web at www.bbaptist.org.